Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. On this show, we like to talk about some in-your-face stuff. And we like to get bodacious about it. And you might think, why are they so in my face about it? I feel like I'm watching some edgy program on MTV, like Spring Break or uh-huh. Road Rules or uh-huh. um, Nick News. I know that wasn't on MTV. And it wasn't really in your face. Mm-hmm. Although I felt like Linda Ellerby was kind of confrontational from time to time. You know, she was brave. She was brave for sure. Brave and bold. Kurt Loder is another person whose Still name I brave. remember. Still very brave. Still brave. But on this show, typically we do take it a little bit easier on you and your ears. And we give you what you need, which is a little bit of... Pop-Tarts. Lo- Pop-Tarts. A little bit of pop tart. <laughs> Can I interest you in a Pop-Tart in these trying times? Do you have any small wonders? Oh, I want to I want to talk about a thing that I did that I'm very proud of. Okay. I already got online at a, for a grocery store and I ordered our Thanksgiving dinner. Oh yeah. And I have never planned so far in advance for Thanksgiving and to know that this dinner is going to be made for us and available for pickup. Oh, it's incredible. Don't get it twisted. I'm still making the sweet potato casserole. I'm still making pecan pie, my two sort of road dogs. Griffin will make the sweet treats, but the other staples will be made for Just don't even sweat it. We, we, yeah, you know how we feel about these foods. We've talked about it before. In, In these trying times, it is nice to know that I can take a little stress off my plate. Yep. And put a little food on my plate. And just sit and watch your fucking football, yes. watch your Buffalo Bills do their thing out on the gridiron. Safely. They're, I don't think. <laughs> it's football. Here is. How are they playing football now? Is This it, is what I'm, I'm, I'm. Are they not touching each other, I'm guessing? I'm detached from Tweedo, and I'm detached uh-huh. from professional sports to the extent that I, gun to my head, don't even know if they're still doing football. I feel like they're not. They should do the flag football is what they should do. Yeah. I don't know. Hockey could figure it out. They, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my small wonder, I have taken my first trepidatious steps into the world of ASMR uh, because I have, I have so much trouble sleeping and it has been recommended to me that it may soothe me in a way that will make sleep a little bit more possible. So uh, I've, I've... Uh, did you do it last night? No, I did not try and do it last night, okay. but I have I have taken a few uh, anxiety naps uh, <laughs> and just sort of thrown the air the the old earbuds yeah. in. Yeah, and Griffin uh, was a big holdout. Those of you familiar with the McElroy family will know that Justin and Travis are big proponents, but Griffin's always been kind of the rebel. Yeah, I don't think I really understood <laughs> the genuine kind of therapeutic effects that it it, it has on a brain, yeah. uh, especially a brain as sort of busy and horrible as mine uh and so it's, it's you know i could do this for you griffin you don't have to turn to the youtube I, for for real you do have a very a very I know. pleasant voice i know um, i could just i could pull out one of my old poetry books and just sit next to you and quietly read it i'm more into like just sort of like people scratching a mic or people just like like squeezing a microphone. Oh, interesting. Or like raindrop sounds. I'm I'm not big on talking because then it gets in my dreams. And I don't like <laughs> I ain't trying to get incepted. Because I saw a movie about that once. And it can get really complicated. Do you, you want to tell me you need a chair. You need right? a chair. Let me see there if I needs remember. There to be a, a, a kick. Someone does a prank on you <laughs> to get you out. And Ellen Page has to be there. Yeah. Like as far as I know, like if Ellen Page isn't there, then you can't even do it. 
And she's always hanging around. <laughs> do you want to do your first thing for me? My first thing is something I was thinking about yesterday that is kind of a relic of a very specific time period, and that is the flash mob. Oh, man. I kind of forgot about them. Obviously, now they're not really happening there's, for there's, many reasons. There's but probably a lot of people who don't know, who, when you say that, think of something scary. Yeah. But it's not. It's dancing it's for the not. most part. <laughs> uh, so this is something that I believe I became familiar with, uh, with the uh, 2008 Grand Central Station. That was a big mob. one. That was mm-hmm. a cool, that was one of, I will say, one of the cool ones. Yeah, from like 2008 to 2010, 2011, these kind of blew up YouTube. Uh, And it was a seemingly spontaneous assembly of strangers all kind of doing some kind of choreographed movement uh, without any kind of advance notice. So a lot of people would kind of, it'd be in a public place and a lot of people would stumble upon it and be like, what's happening? This is crazy. I remember the name Improv Everywhere yes. or Improv Anywhere. Improv Everywhere did the Grand Central Station. Okay, yes. One. Um, the, the origins of this, everything I found to 2003, there was a senior editor at Harper's named Bill Wasik who organized his own flash mob where he created an email account, a Yahoo account, just to give you a sense of the time period, right? uh, called The Mob Project. And he sent a message to himself and forwarded it to 40 or 50 friends, pretending like this was this cool event he had found out about. And it was getting people to go to a ninth floor rug department of a Macy's in New York and approaching the same rug... And anytime any kind of uh, sales assistant came by, they were to say that they were shopping for a love rug for their commune and that they made their purchase decisions as a group. And so everybody, he ended up getting like 40 or 50 people there to participate in this. Yes. His uh, intentions for this were a little cynical he was kind of making fun of hipster culture of like oh this is you know like look everybody wants to be at the spot you know everybody wants to do this like crazy hip thing and this is like a commentary blah blah blah. i would say this trend was not especially kind to our retail workers no (laughs) no actually when i was researching this there is a particular flash mob that led to significant damage it was a uh, a pillow fight in San Francisco, uh, 2009 on Valentine's Day. They did an annual mass pillow fight that caused more than twenty thousand dollars in damages. Where at? Uh, in like a store? In a park. In a park? How do you do twenty thousand dollars worth of damage in you a gotta park? You got to clean up those feathers, dude. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see, somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Uh, the more, um, harmless ones, the ones that I always found really great are the, the choreographed dances. Yes. There have been a lot of performances of Thriller, uh, throughout the country. Um, there was a performance of Single Ladies, uh, in London's Piccadilly Circus where a hundred women performed the choreographed dance together. Uh-huh. Uh, Ohio State University did one in 2010 to Don't Stop Believing, uh, and it, it, of course, like led, 
institutions everywhere to be like, should we be doing this? Is this a thing? <laughs> yeah. Are colleges going to do it now? Should we do one? <laughs> I think the office is like the one that kind of like landed. Well, that was Harlem Shake, right? No, they no. did the walk down the aisle to like the yeah. the one song that was like. Well, sort they of also did their own. Mom. They were trying to do their own viral. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they did mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. This was a thing. Uh, the the record uh, was a performance of Thriller, where they had fourteen thousand people in Mexico wow. performing the Thriller dance. Wowzers! The largest flash mob. That's intimidating. Yeah. I feel like if I saw 14,000 people all, all starting to move in unison, I would just like, I, I would open a manhole cover and just jump inside and hide and wait. Yeah. I um, I don't know if I would ever actually want to participate in anything like this. No but, way. But watching the videos is so charming uh, because it, uh, I don't know. There's just something kind of beautiful about all those people working together for a particular goal that is kind of silly, but it is fun and and nice to see. The dance ones never did it for me. Really? But you mentioned, we haven't actually talked about what the Grand Central Station yeah. one was. It was easily over 100 people. It was, a, it was, do you know how many people were involved with that? 200 people. 200 people were involved with that, where at a specific time, I think there was some sort of signal, uh, all of the people froze in place yeah. like like mannequins. And so the people who were not part of this would just be walking and then the world froze around them. Like that's the kind of thing that I think is really fucking cool. It is cool. I mean, it's like a very busy, noisy location. Mm-hmm. And to just watch this video of people walking through in the silence, like just staring at these still people. Yes. Is very incredible. I also recall they've done a lot of stuff, obviously on subways uh, and like public transit systems are kind of perfect for this because it's like a captive audience audience inherently i remember one where they got a bunch of twins a bunch of sets of twins and uh one part of the twin set uh like 15 people all got on this train at the same station dressed a certain way and then on the very next station the other half of the twin pairings got on dressed the exact same way and sat like the exact same way opposite their twin without addressing it and the other people of the train were like what the fuck is going on (laughs) Uh, improv everywhere is a little different. Like a lot of what they do comes across like a flash mob, but the the purpose of a flash mob is more that it is it is strangers participating in this, either whether it's like emailed or text, like this instruction that everybody is following. Whereas improv everywhere, I'm sure, is a little more mapped out and and coordinated in advance. God, that this is this is hurling me back into like an internet <laughs> hole. There was a, I like early aughts group called prangsta group uh that did like really early versions of like this stuff like there was a musical that just broke out in the middle of a library about how much they love reading uh well oh my god i was like obsessed with them this was like early ass internet stuff uh Yeah, yeah i'm not familiar with this one um hey can i tell you about my first thing yes my first thing is i'm a little bit embarrassed about uh it is we've talked about top chef before on this show uh, and how much we really, really do enjoy that 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 program. Well, today I want to talk about the opposite of Top Chef, uh, which is Chopped. Chopped. Chopped Whoa. is the opposite, I think, in almost virtually every way. It is a show on the Food Network uh, that there is about infinity episodes of. Yeah, of this Chopped. is like our hotel room go-to. So, th- yeah, we've talked about that before, about like HGTV is a channel that has a bunch of programming that Rachel and I do not watch, unless we're in a strange place uh, and in a hotel room and, it, you know, we don't have access to our usual streaming shit. And it's like, well, 
I guess we could just turn on HGTV and watch whatever is there. <laughs> Chopped is like the HGTV of television shows. Because at some point, Chopped is, at, on some channel, there's going to be Chopped. Chopped is airing right now, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I have no way of proving that except that Food Network run, uh, like Food Network shows one of their shows and then gives you a palate cleanser of Chopped before it gets to its next program. I don't know that I've ever turned on Food Network and not seen Chopped. Yes. Uh, so there are nearly, why don't you, well, I guess I, I kind of revealed it. There are nearly 600 episodes of Chopped. There are nearly. <laughs> Is it weird ne- that I would have thought there are more? <laughs> that's so many it's been it's only been on the air since 2009 in 11 years they have produced Man. 600 episodes of the television show i mean they could definitely film a few a day so they actually shoot four seasons at a time oh my god <laughs> which is wild because this show is a pretty brutal shoot it is a 12 hour day filming really? this program yeah oh uh, my gosh i mean i guess they have to clean and reset every time but it seems like the, I mean, the show itself seems like so fast paced. I mean, it's, it, that is not super uncommon for a, a, a television show. I feel like 12, 12 hours to shoot a whole episode front to back with like very little, you know, they don't need a lot of extra B-roll or shit like that. Like 12 hours is not especially wild, except you consider that they're fo- shooting four seasons at a time. <laughs> it is one of the more grueling like production schedules of a television show that is on uh, online. I've seen some horror stories actually from contestants. Uh, just like, yeah, the craft services, uh, uh, like they gave me two rubbery eggs to eat. <laughs> Ted <laughs> Allen has uh, Ted Allen from uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, the original, right? Isn't that what he is from? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, has said that he isn't allowed to sit down. <laughs> I mean, like he a, is always standing. He is He's, always I mean, standing up. That's typical for so a host. If though. you've never watched Chopped, which seems unlikely, it is a cooking competition show where each episode there are three chefs uh, who are, or no, there's four chefs, aren't there, who are competing. I should really know how many chefs there are. I believe are. there's four. Uh, there are three rounds that they are whittled down over. So yes, there would be four chefs. Uh, there is the appetizer round, the entree round, and then the dessert round. And in each round, they have a mystery box that they open up, and it will have a wide array of garbage that they then have to make a dish out of. And they have to use all the ingredients. And they have to use all the ingredients. They get dinged if they don't. Uh, so usually the ingredients will have some sort of weird outlier or two in them. So it'll be like, here is some, uh, you know, pork ribs and uh, some barbecue sauce and some chocolate ice cream and some uh, like oysters, oysters and some atomic warheads. <laughs> like, yeah. And a good luck, uh, chefs have fun. Uh, and so the odds are like so stacked against them that and it there's, makes it, judges. there's and there's like judges there's judges celebrity chef judges right uh, who then tear these meals usually apart it, it, the odds are so stacked against them that it makes it genuinely exciting when somebody cooks something that looks even remotely palatable uh, those are usually the people who who end up winning and like there's a lot about the show that's bad like. It has a sort of manufactured overdramatic tone that is like absolutely repellent to me. Um, But like, it's always there. (laughs) It is reliably, it is reliably hitting at a six to seven out of 10 in a way that's just like. You're talking about a bad relationship. Like, you know, it's not great, but it's consistent. I mean, it can't hurt me. Chopped can't. But it can be bad, but it's never so. I've never hit the threshold with Chopped where I'm like, this sucks. Click. Yeah. It's always just, it's always there. 
Well, and it's the variety of it, right? Like the three meals, the three baskets, the different contestants every episode. You can set your watch by Chopped. Yeah, and 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 it switches up so much. It's like I was saying, it's it's relatively fast paced. So like if you're like, oh, I don't like, you know, this basket, there's another basket coming in like seven minutes. Just around just around the river bend. <laughs> Um, it, it it has had some sort of positive effects. Like it has launched a, a lot of chef careers. It is uh, each episode the chefs usually hail from uh, a restaurant in various parts of the country, and they do a little feature on that restaurant. And it's been uh, for the most part like pretty positive for the businesses featured, which is which is nice. Uh, but it's also created this weird subcategory of professional chefs who are known for appearing on Chopped. Because Chopped has had so many different kinds of seasons uh, that I, I'm gonna I'm gonna list all of the seasons. Okay, all of these are real. Chopped Champions, Chopped All Stars. I guess that's different than Chopped Champions. <laughs> chopped Grill Masters, Chopped Tournament of Stars, Chopped Ultimate Champions, <laughs> Chopped Impossible, the the oddly convention breaking uh, Teen Tournament. That's all it's called. <laughs> Welcome to Teen Tournament. Uh, chopped After Hours. Ooh. Uh, chopped Star Power. Chopped Sweet Showdown. Uh, and Chopped Beat the Judge. And there's also been like a ton of like holiday specials and one-offs. Yeah. And there's an... There's so much of this show. It is wild to me. I cannot think of a show that there is more of it, except for maybe like daytime soap operas and talk shows and things like that. Uh, you talked about the sort of consistency of it, and that is one of the the more appealing aspects of Chopped. Uh, but Ted Allen did an interview where he talked about the show's unaired pilot episode, and I would like to read uh, a, a little bit about the unaired pilot episode because it is uh, bonkers. It was filmed at the Culinary School at the Art Institute of New York. Uh, and according to Ted Allen, it was originally a lot more elaborate. It was set in a mansion. The host was a butler. The butler held a chihuahua. And when a chef was chopped, the losing dish was fed to the chihuahua. <laughs> the Food Network found the pilot episode, quote, a little too weird, but decided to keep the general premise of the show in a more straightforward competition format. Oh, my gosh. Sliding, that, sliding fucking doors. That would have been incredible. And kind of like a murder mystery. <laughs> I mean, we're thinking about who done it. It it, it elicits uh, images of who done it. The very short lived, not yeah. great uh, reality. It's that Butler thing, murder yeah. mystery show. Um, but yeah, it's again not not my favorite show, but in a lot of ways, it is my favorite. It's my favorite. One of my favorite things that I know is just gonna be there. Yeah, there's always chopped, and I don't know that I've ever seen the same episode twice. Because the law of large numbers would prohibit that. That's very that. true, yeah. There's so much fucking chopped. There is. Teen tournament. Can I steal you away? Yes. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis -vis, um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be 
the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Styles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time? Yeah, you can do that also. Anything is possible! That's um there for the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial they had. That was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow. background. Yeah. Not a lot of people know that. Hey, head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code wonderful pod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. We have a couple bumbo jams here. Can I read the first one? Yes. This first one is for Matthias. It is from Alex Wee, who says, My dear Matthias, hey, look, a Jumbotron. I'll always think of you when I listen to Wonderful, and I'm so thankful for that, just as I am for all the big and small wonders you've brought into my life. I can't wait to hug you again and go eat tacos. Also, if you hear this before November 3rd, happy early B-Day. I love you so much. Colby does, too. Got this one in. Right under the wire. Yeah. Happy Matias. early birthday. Happy early, I would imagine, anxious birthday. But uh yeah. make it make it fun. Grab some tacos. Uh-huh. Celebrate. And then go vote if you can, <laughs> if you're able to. Uh this next message is for Anna. It is from Daniel. Anna, my wonderful thing this week and every week is being with you and our two tiny dogs, Carl and Ginny. Though I did purchase this Jumbotron before the Nintendo Switch arrived, so who can say how the next week goes? Just kidding. Happy maybe anniversary. I love you, and I like you so much, and big time, and a lot. <laughs> That's a great deal of liking someone. Um, they, they, they requested end of October, so I think we did come in around the anniversary date. We've been really good about sort of... Our time, a timing. And when you say we, I mean maximum fun. Maximum fun. <laughs> <laughs> they have sent these to us in, in an appropriate structured calendar. That's that is true. Hi, are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good. 
good for you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! Can I tell you about my second thing? Oh, that look on your face tells me that you're a real stinker about it, and it's something you think I'm going to be really into. What you got? Uh, okay, so this is a trip to the Poetry Corner. Now, I know I've been spending a lot of time in the Poetry Corner, but You've it is never left. I feel safe. Right. <laughs> I, was, I was bored in the Poetry Corner. <laughs> the room really is just a room with one corner now, and that is the Poetry Corner, and that is where I always am. It's a weird, almost sort of light bulb shaped room with one corner and the rest of it is just sort of round edges. Uh, the reason I am particularly excited is the poet I am bringing is one that I know for sure Griffin knows about because it is E.E. E. Cummings. Hey! <laughs> is it I, your heart? I carry it in my heart. Yes. Oh, is that really it? Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry, babe. I didn't mean to burst your poetry bubble. No, I expected you to come ready. Okay. This is, uh, to be fair, you said like Griffin knows a lot about E.E. E. Cummings. I know this one poem by E.E. You e. know e. this Cummings, one poem. And I know the style of E.E. E. Cummings. Otherwise, I know nothing about E.E. E. Cummings. Mm-hmm. The uh, <laughs> I have often noticed that when Griffin has to call a poet or a particular style of poetry, this is who he goes to. Or Shel Silverstein. It's one of the two. True. It's either, it's either Sylvia Stout taking the garbage out or it's E.E. E. Cummings and his crazy lines <laughs> and of his, crazy words. <laughs> and his many, many commas and periods. <laughs> um, I have never been a huge fan of E.E. E. Cummings, but I thought this would be fun for both of us because you could get a little more background on this guy you're always shouting out. Yeah. And I could kind of figure out what the fuss is about. Arguably the worst poet to read their work over an audio medium because it's E. E. Cummings work is also very much about how it is it is hard arranged and laid yes. out and it has a sort of visual element by virtue of of how it is organized uh-huh. on the page I feel like a lot of people know about E. E. Cummings just because he was kind of head of the class on on creating poems and this kind of crazy spacing and and punctuation and lowercase. I learned about him in school, and like yeah. I can't I cannot remember too many other poets. Or like obviously, I learned about probably Robert Frost and uh, Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou, Hughes. yes, yeah. Uh, but like E. E. Cummings, I think stuck with me for whatever reason and became became my like go to poet uh-huh. reference because of. The uniqueness, the visual unique. If I don't have an ear for poetry, but I have an eye for <laughs> like word layout, uh, and that's what E. Cummings has. Yeah. So he uh, was born in Massachusetts, got his BA and MA from Harvard, uh, and uh, was writing in the very early 20th century. Um, and so that that's kind of interesting, I think, given the time period to be this kind of avant-garde in that time period. Uh, he started writing poetry very young. The, the article I read about him said that between the ages of eight and 22, he wrote a poem a day. Well, I, 
Were they, were they all good, though, E.E.? <laughs> of course not. I'm sure they weren't. But just the practice of it. I think yeah. a lot about, you know, that that uh, thousand hours or whatever it is. Like 10,000. 10,000 hours. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> That's a bit more. <laughs> I guess I have a little more to go. <laughs> uh, but it just investing the time, creating a practice out of it, like says a lot for sure. kind of how he became who he was. Um, he was in the First World War uh, and then uh, returned home. He did he did what apparently a lot of people were doing in the time period, which was volunteering for ambulance service, hmm. uh, which was a popular choice among people who were pacifists. Of Isn't like that what Hemingway did? I don't know. I thought that's what Hemingway did. I don't know. Um, but so he, once he came home from that, he resumed his uh, long affair with this woman, Elaine Thayer, uh, who was married to his friend. Uh-oh. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. His friend knew about and approved of the relationship. Huh. Uh, Elaine ended up giving birth to E.E. E. Cummings' uh, daughter, and then... Thayer got divorced from Elaine so that she could marry E.E. E. Cummings. Uh, and then a year later, she divorced E.E. E. Cummings and ran off with somebody else. Huh. So it's kind of a, a, an interesting but tragic love story that he like carried on this relationship. Yeah. Kind of in controversy for years. And then they were finally together and she called it. But uh, they, it sounds like they were all like pretty cool with it. Yeah. No, everybody was on board. I think... It, it just, you know, ultimately it wasn't meant to be. But I think it informed a lot of his poetry because uh, he wrote a lot of love poems. Sure. Uh, the thing that's interesting about E. Cummings that I didn't really realize until I started doing research. So he started kind of experimenting with form in the 1920s. Uh, and those kind of experimentations actually got him an award. In 1925, Dial Magazine chose him for their annual award of $2,000, uh, which was a full year's income for the writer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he was able to publish an additional collection, kind of furthering his experimentation with style. Uh, but the thing about E.E. E. Cummings is that what he was writing about was not particularly avant-garde. Um, his experiments with language were more about getting you to kind of rethink these kind of standard topics in poetry, because he was writing about, you know, like nature and childhood and love right. in, in kind of a way that was pretty pretty typical to poetry at the time. Well, and pretty explicit. Like there was never, I, yeah. I don't remember reading any of his poems and being sort of confused about what they were addressing. Yeah, I remember picking up an E. Cummins book at the library and thinking like, oh, this is a lot more accessible than I was expecting. It's super accessible, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of poets talked about his work and, and said that um, he had a, this is a, uh, Richard Blackmer, uh, who wrote essays about craft, uh, and he said that E. Cummings has a fine talent for using familiar, even almost dead words in such a context as to make them suddenly impervious to every ordinary sense. They become unable to speak, but with a great air of being bursting with something very important and precise to say. Huh. Uh, so he, he wrote a lot of, as I mentioned, love poems, uh, and uh, the one I was going to read is the one that you you caught on earlier. I kind of read all of it in the span of about a second and a half. So don't blink or you'll miss it. There is. So this poem, 
I don't have any real sentimental attachment to it, but there is a line towards the end that has always stuck with me. Um, oh, is there more to it than what that just that one line? Oh yeah, honey. Oh, I always thought it was just that. <laughs> no, it's sort of like like half a haiku. And he was like, so I'm there, done. there are a lot of brackets and parentheses and line breaks, uh, which is not necessarily going to come across in my reading. But I think it will kind of communicate what I said, which is that you know he's not writing about anything particularly experimental. Uh, and so you you can develop a connection to him, even if you may find the punctuation a little intimidating. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are my world, my true. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud, and the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. That's really good. The wonder that that keeps the stars apart is Yeah, that line, keeping the stars apart, like I had to Google it because I was like, are other people using this line or did this line really stick with me for like over a decade? And I think think that's what what happened. I think I remember that. I remember Justin saying that. I think it was part of, I think maybe Justin Sidney had it as like part of their vows or something like that. Yeah. It's it's a very good line. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Uh, I... I don't know. E.E. Cummings is not somebody that, uh, you know, I keep on my bedside table. Uh, but it's it's admirable, you know, that he was like, it's not like I have to write about something crazy and abstract. You right. know, I don't have to, like, take a flower and make it sound like it's the Grand Canyon, you know. But if I, if I do some work with the spacing and if I think about kind of the cadence that most people read with, you know, and, and put something inventive on the page, it will make the topic new again. Yeah. So it's cool. Um, can I tell you about my second thing? Yes. I'm really excited. I, I struggled a long time with what to what to talk about here because this is our last episode before Halloween. And I like to talk about like classic horror movies that I like because I really love this genre a whole lot. Um, but I, I couldn't think of one that was like exciting, one that got me excited enough to like really want to focus on it. So I've talked about like the alien franchise. I adore the thing. Um, Evil dead. Like they're classics that like I want to watch every year around this time. And I just remembered another one that I love talking about. It's the movie poltergeist. Have you seen poltergeist? Yes, I have. Fucking poltergeist is so good. It's got everything. That's the Craig T. Nelson, right? It's got the Craig T. Nelson in it. You got to have coach. (laughs) You must have coach in your movie. This this film, if you have not seen it, is like the ultimate Trojan horse of horror movies because it was written and produced in part by Steven Spielberg. And back then it was released in, in 1982, uh, which was two years before the PG-13 rating was invented. And the Motion Picture Association originally gave this film an R rating. Uh, but Steven Spielberg and the director of the movie went to the MPAA and like appealed that and and pushed for a lighter rating so that more people could come see it. And because there was no PG-13, they were like, all right, we're going to kick that oh. right down to a PG. 
right on down to a PG rating. <laughs> and this film is fucking terrifying. And it has some genuinely like gory practical effects yeah. and super scary practical effects. I saw this film as an adult and I'm glad I did because if I saw it as a kid, it would have yeah. ruined my life. A lot of a lot of children in danger. A lot uh, of children in danger. A lot of uh, undead activity yeah. visualized in ooey gooey ways. Uh, it's just it it's, it is a ghost story about a family living in this sort of planned neighborhood that has been built. You find out throughout the film, sort of unceremoniously, on top of a cemetery, and so the spirits of that cemetery are. Uh, haunting this one particular household and uh, you you watch this film and you kind of think you know what it is at certain points. Like you think it has reached the threshold of the horror that it is going to present, but it just keeps escalating more and true. more and more that by the end of it, I genuinely was in shock at that that I was watching a PG film. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, because a lot of Halloween movies, they like, they have their villain and the, the whole movie is just the villain chasing people. And so you kind of like, are like, all right, I know this and okay, that's going to happen. But this one surprises you with the different approaches it takes, I feel like. I think because it is a, you, you think you know it's a ghost story and you think you know like yeah. what that means. And that's what's great about this movie. There's so many things that are great about this movie. But what is great is that it plays into that expectation at the sort of start of the movie. You get the, the little girl looking at the TV screen static and there's the earthquake and the little hand coming out of the TV and she looks at the camera and says, they're here. And then the next day, these parents are like responding to chairs moving in the kitchen with almost a sort of like a sort of... Um, curiosity yeah or like isn't this delightful watch watch <laughs> the chairs are moving uh and you think like okay so it's gonna move stuff around and sort of scare them that yeah. way uh but then it gets pretty wild uh one of the, the the little girl is sucked into the house by the poltergeist and there's yeah. a beast demon that is that backyard pool scene the backyard pool scene at the climax of the movie where yeah. undead hands shoot out of the pool there's a Ugh. tree that smashes in through a window and tries to abduct a, a little boy there is there there is a scene that is one of the scariest things i've ever seen in a film where uh the, there's a team of researchers that comes to the house and one of them stays the night and goes into the kitchen for a midnight snack and sees a raw steak like explode from within itself like regurgitating meat from out of its body and then the drumstick he was eating has maggots all over it and then he goes to the kitchen or he goes to the bathroom to like wash his face off and then he washes his fucking face off like pulls the skin <laughs> off of his face in your pg movie <laughs> it's fucking i watched it this morning to like remind me it is fucking grotesque and horrifying in a way that like caught me in like my late 20s off guard yeah uh it is but at the same time the 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 nonchalant way that the parents sort of respond to this spectral activity in their house slowly like uh transforms into this weirdly practical rescue mission of their daughter who's been sucked into like the ghost world and that ghost world has uh, an internal logic and a rule set that is like absolutely my shit, especially in horror movies. And they bring in the spirit medium who's like, okay, we need to figure out where the entrance to the portal is, the exit to the portal. We need to find out who's got her, what they want. We need to figure out how to communicate with them. And they just like 
go on this mission to to save their daughter. Don't and they like tie a rope? They tie a rope to the mom and like <laughs> send her into the ghost world. Like, and I love that stuff. I love when the the victims in horror movies like become proactive. That is like the entire conceit yeah. of the final girl in slasher flicks. Yeah. Um, which you know I love that shit too. But this is like a different take on it, where it's like the whole family is is like we're terrified of this obviously horrifying thing that's in our house, but like like fuck it we are going to do whatever it takes to save our daughter and it plays with this balance of like yeah guys yeah coach fucking get him and also like get out of there coach it's so bad in there coach that's such perfect casting i feel like this is one of this is like craig t nelson's like breakout film I mean, it is his break. It is like, I feel like the only film that, that people regard uh, with a lot of admiration that stars Craig T. Nelson. Uh, he it, just seems like such a, like, like a practical dad yes. in this film, you know? And so you're watching him and you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's what a person would do because it's Craig. But what's great about this movie also is that it has a false ending. And at one point, Craig T. Nelson's like, all right, we need to get the fuck out of here. I'm going to go talk to the manager. Uh, I think one of the kids is like on a date and like the denouement has happened and you're like, oh, everything's fine. And then the poltergeist like strikes back in this huge and terrifying way. And like, it's just the the, the wife and the two young kids at home. And it's like, holy shit, oh. I cannot believe it's like a second way. I've forgotten about that. The movie is brilliant. Like it is structured brilliantly. Yeah. And it is like a fun watch. Like it is a fun horror yeah. movie. I, I think about, uh, yeah, I just I I really like this movie. Yeah. I think it hangs with like the thing and 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 the alien flicks is like Spielberg, man. A classic horror film. Yeah, and it's Spielberg. Another sort of it's like, "Oh, I think we're going to have some fun ET action." And it's like, <laughs> "Nope. We'll learn a lot along the way and become closer friends." Yeah, it is uh it's yeah, I just the house is the sole setting for the film and is a haunted house and like that's cool cuz you watch it kind of deteriorate over time. It has a lot of really memorable characters like the spirit medium who comes in and kind of saves the day. Uh, it's, it's man, it's a great flick. If you've not seen it and you have the stomach for it, I would highly recommend tuning into it this, this, this Hallow's Eve. I'm glad you brought that. I feel like I have kind of shied away from the scary film uh this season i would watch poltergeist tonight yeah, for sure um, that one sounds good yeah uh can i tell you what our friends at home are talking about yes uh emily says uh seeing lost nerf darts my partner and i don't have kids but we've been spotting these little blue and orange darts in yards along our cul-de-sac lately while walking the dog it makes me smile to see the remnants of kids having fun <laughs> i think i've probably spent about 10 percent of my life looking for nerf darts that i fired off we had a Nerf gun before we had Henry specifically to keep our cat in line. And I remember We did that, not shoot our cat with Nerf darts. No, there was the suggestion that it would it would de-incentivize some actions we didn't like. It was a water gun. It wasn't like, we weren't sure, shooting Nerf darts. How did we end up with a dart gun? We definitely had a Nerf dart gun because I remember- I think I just bought it for fun. Finding those darts under the couch. Okay, well- it, I think I got them for goof-em-ups and fun. Griffin just had a good time gun. Yeah, a good time. Nerf, <laughs> Nerf is fucking rad, man. Okay. Uh, Michael says, keyboard shortcuts. I do a lot of digital art for fun and as a job, and being able to switch between tools quickly is wonderful. I remember when I discovered keyboard shortcuts, I was like four years into editing the shows. <laughs> uh -huh. I mean, probably even later than that. And it like halved my editing time uh -huh. because I like have all my shit so so specific 
uh, it's like, it, it is the first thing I do when I get a new piece of software. I've started using Ableton uh, instead of Logic for, for all my music composition stuff. And it is like a whole different set of keyboard shortcuts that I spent so long learning in, in Logic. And now I'm having to deprogram my brain, but it's, uh, ah, I love it. You know what's funny is that I know copy and paste uh, in my in my Microsoft Word. I, I don't know cut though. Never memorized that one. Really? Yeah. Babe. I know. It's just right next to it. It's X. It's it's control I, X. I will go up, I will copy something with my little shortcut, and then I will go up to the edit menu and I will select cut. <laughs> you know you don't have to copy and cut it, right? Oh no. <laughs> when you cut it, it puts it on your clipboard so that you can paste it. I think I think I think I knew that. I think, babe, <laughs> the way you're looking at me makes me makes me question that. You should learn. I, I recently learned uh, me and dad have been doing a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I just learned all the Google Docs keyboard shortcuts. There's so many. And it's so it is invaluable to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, I want to thank, and this is an important one, Bowen and Augustus <laughs> for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. <laughs> this uh, is the song. <laughs> That is by that artist. You can find a link to it in the episode description. <laughs> and maybe last week, did I attribute a different song to the very talented Bowen and Augustus? Yes, I did. <laughs> Am I super tired? Are things kind of buck wild right now? And maybe you should cut me a little bit of slack before you... <laughs> we got a lot going on. Got a lot going on? Yeah. A lot on our minds. A lot, a lot on our minds. You know, we're expecting. I'm going to use that now. (laughs) Brain fart, you know, pregnancy brain. I don't think I get to claim that. No. Anyway. I've had a lot of sympathy pains, though, and I appreciate that. Those are just, I had those before you were pregnant. I just hurt. And also, thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Go to MaximumFun.org. Check out all the great shows that are there. Yeah, you may have heard an ad for the new show on Maximum Fun called Tiny Victories, but it seems like it would be of great interest to our audience. It is a 15-minute show, comes out weekly, uh, and the hosts talk about the the little wins they've had. Yep. Uh, and I think I think y'all would like it. There's so much good stuff there. Uh, triple click, Fanti is fucking fan, more like fantastic. <laughs> It should be the name of that. It should be the name of the show. Uh, and I think that's it. And um, so I'm going to, we're going to stop. We're going to put this one to bed, folks. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for your, for your nice congratulations on our, our new, new child coming. Yes. It was uh, very, very nice to see that. This, I mean, this is, folks, you may not realize that. That was our announcement on this episode. So you can come here for the fucking exclusive scoops and skinnies <laughs> on everything that's going on. Maybe one of us will get a piercing and you'll find out about you it here know first before anyone else. I don't know what I would get pierced. No, I don't. Nothing either. below the neck. I I have thought that your ears are perfect for a piercing. They're certainly load-bearing. I just love your ears, I think. Okay. Well, I let's uh, that's what it is. let's bejewel them. <laughs>
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. We interrupt the podcast you're listening to to tell you about another podcast. That's right. We got this with Mark and Hal. That's correct, Mark. This is Hal. We do the hard work for you, settling all of the meaningless arguments you have with your friends. So tune in every week on the Maximum Fun Network for We Got This with Mark and Hal. And all your questions will be asked and answered. You're welcome. All right. That's enough of that. We got this.